Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke called How It All Began. There are lots of people who claim Jesus as a mascot for their cause, but they've imagined him on their own terms rather than taking him on his. This series looks at the earliest days of Jesus' public ministry to better understand the true heart of his life and message. Today we're considering the question, what makes a person willing to leave everything? Most people aren't willing to leave anything, right? I love how Tolkien expresses that in the opening to The Hobbit. The wandering wizard Gandalf shows up in the Shire and approaches Bilbo Baggins and says, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure that I'm arranging, and it's very difficult to find anyone. Now, Bilbo isn't surprised. He replies, I should think so in these parts. We're plain quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think what anybody sees in them. What would it take for you to go on an adventure with Jesus? What would it take for you to follow him in your life? What would it take for you to take a new step of obedience? What would it take for you to step out in a new ministry opportunity? Those are the questions we all need to ask right now because it's a time of transition. Coming out of the pandemic, we're grappling with how to rebuild old ministries and how to reimagine new ones. If you and I decide that adventures with Jesus are nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things that make you late for dinner, then the mission quietly dies. What makes a person go on an adventure? That was a question I was asked constantly when we moved to Japan. People wanted to know what the motivation was. And it was difficult to answer in a way that people understood because they usually assumed it was one of two things. Either we were so in love with Japan that we couldn't think of any better place to live, or they figured we were hoping to get some reward from God for selfless acts of service. But neither of those things were true. I'd ask you to consider where Jesus might be calling you to take an adventure with him as we consider the question, what makes a person willing to leave everything? To do that, let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had, heard, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. 
And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God. The first principle we see in this passage is that nobody takes an adventure with Jesus until they recognize his authority in their life. His word needs to move past advice, suggestion, or even inspiration. You have to recognize Jesus' authority in your life. Now, as the scene opens, we find Jesus standing on the shore with the crowds pressed in around him. It feels like rush hour on a Tokyo subway. They're pressing in because he was fascinating to listen to. And when he finished teaching, he would often heal people. Verse 1 says that he was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret. It's more commonly called the Sea of Galilee. When he spots two empty fishing boats, Jesus sees a way out of the scrum. He gets into one of the boats and asks the owner to put out a little way from the shore. From the boat, Jesus' voice would carry across the water, and because the shoreline would be lined with elevated banks, it created a natural amphitheater. After Jesus finishes teaching, instead of healing the sick or heading back into the crowds, he asks to go fishing. Now, this is our first introduction to Simon, who will later be renamed Peter. In verse 4, and Jesus speaks to him and says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Already, that was a strange thing for Jesus to ask. Usually in the daytime, you would fish using round casting nets in shallower waters. But Jesus doesn't use that word for net. He uses the word for the long nets used for fishing in deeper water. The problem was that that kind of fishing was usually done late at night. You expect Peter to say at this point, stick to carpentry in the Bible, Jesus. You obviously don't know much about fishing. But listen to his response. In verse 5, he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, is anybody just coming off of a night shift this morning? We've had people do that. Work through the night and then just press on through the morning service. Peter and his fellow fishermen have had a rough time. They've been working through the night, moving heavy nets from place to place, and they had nothing to show for it. They were washing their nets when Jesus began to speak, and frankly, now they're ready for bed. For the carpenter to ask them to take the nets that they've just cleaned and go out into the deep water after all they'd been through was crazy. But Peter decided, I'll do it only because it's Jesus who's asking. Now, we often use the word but. We use the word but when we respond to God, but not the way that Peter used it. We usually say things like, I'd really like to serve you, Lord, but please don't ask me to deal with that person. Or, I'd really love to give more consistently, God, but you know that there have been some extra expenses lately. Or, I think you make an excellent point, Lord, but... I think I have this one figured out. We usually use the word but to excuse ourselves when God is commanding us to do something we don't want to do. Peter does the opposite. He tells Jesus why he doesn't want to do it, and then he says, but since you're the one who's speaking, I'll do it. My body tells me I should say no. My experience tells me I shouldn't listen to you. And frankly, 
I just don't want to do any more fishing. But your word trumps all that. Where you lead, I'll follow. We don't know when this shift took place in Peter. It could have been literally as he was listening to Jesus preach. As he heard the message, something changed inside him, and he decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop treating him like just another rabbi. I'm going to follow him all in. That's how people began an adventure with Jesus. I wonder if you've done that. In Luke 6, 46, it says this. It's Jesus asking, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He's speaking to people who called themselves Jesus' followers, but they treated his commands like suggestions. They had a take-it-or-leave-it approach to his word. Do you recognize Jesus' authority in your life? Or do you listen to see if you can pick up any tips or insights that you agree with? Is Jesus your advisor or your Lord? Is he your consultant or your authority? Until you recognize Jesus' authority in your life, You'll never leave the Shire. You'll never take an adventure with Jesus. So nobody takes an adventure with Jesus until they recognize his authority. But they also don't take an adventure to, with him until they recognize how lost they are. If you're just glad that Jesus healed all those sick people and died for all those sinners, but you're relieved that you're not one of them, then you're never going to experience what Jesus can do in your life. Nobody takes an adventure with Jesus until they recognize how lost they are. When Peter did what Jesus told him, he still didn't know what would come of it. Jesus hadn't promised a huge haul of fish. For all he knew, it was all part of a teaching illustration. You know what preachers are like. But in verse 6, when the nets are lowered, they were filled with so many fish that their nets were going to break. It actually causes a bit of an emergency. Peter and Andrew have got to call over James and John from the other boat to help them. And as they bring in their haul, the boats fill up to such a weight that they're almost going to sink. Now, this isn't a textbook on how Jesus blesses people, so be careful not to assume that this is the way it always has to be. But I would note that this isn't how we usually want Jesus to work in our lives. We prefer to bargain with him. We say, I really need a boatload of fish. If you give me that, I'd be willing to do what you say, even if I'm tired. When we do that, we treat our relationship with Jesus like a business negotiation. We act as if he's someone we can buy off with the right moral or religious duty. That makes him our servant, or at best our peer. Instead, Jesus says, do what I say because I'm your savior. When we do, we often experience the blessing that there is in obedience. But even that isn't a reward for a job well done. It wasn't as if Jesus really, really wanted to go fishing in the middle of the lake, so when Peter took him there, he rewarded him with fish. No, the point is, God's word is good. God's word is for our good. There's a blessing in obedience. That's John's point in 1 John 5, 3, when he says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. God's commands aren't a burden. They're a blessing. God's trying to help us. He's trying to protect us. He's trying to encourage us. 
The commands accomplish that. There's no question that Peter saw the blessing in trusting Jesus' words, but it stirred up something else in him. In verse 8, we see, we see Peter completely broken. It says this, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, what's, what's going on here? On the face of it, he seems to be saying, This is more fish than I've ever caught in my life, so please get lost. But that can't be it. Notice, first of all, that Peter has fallen at Jesus' knees. He's groveling before him in recognition that he has divine power and authority. And of course, that kind of power is attractive. Of course, the miraculous catch of fish is amazing. But when you get that close to someone who's that powerful and that holy, scares you to death. You can't help but feel exposed. And you realize how sinful you really are. Peter wants to hide the way that Adam hid in the garden. It's the same way that we hide from the reality of a holy God today. We say things like, I don't believe in a God who judges people. I don't believe in a God who tells us how to live. That's not because we're somehow more enlightened than people were before. It's because a God that holy and that powerful terrifies us. We want to hide from a God like that. So we act as if he doesn't exist, except he does. Now, up until this point, I think that Peter had really enjoyed Jesus' sermons. Jesus seemed like a really positive guy with all that good news and stuff. Peter felt really hopeful around Jesus because he was always doing good. I think that Peter hoped that some of that positivity could rub off on him. Maybe he'd be able to do good the way Jesus did. Until this moment, though, I don't think he really felt that he needed anything from Jesus. Good news is nice to hear, but Peter wasn't sick or poor or blind or oppressed. But as he saw the true condition of his heart, he realized that he was a sinner. He saw, perhaps for the first time, how lost he really was. And as that happened, he realized he didn't need more fish. He needed forgiveness. He needed cleansing. He needed rescuing. Do you see that in your own life? Do you see how lost you are? Do you see how much you need good news? Do you see how much you need a savior? I remember when someone first told me that I was resisting God because I'd never put my faith in Jesus. I felt a sense of inner panic. I wanted to push it away, but I also had to know whether it was true or not. Sometimes we see this when we first put our faith in Jesus, but then we get cleaned up a bit and figure we're okay. We talk in the past tense about when we needed Jesus. The forgiveness is more of an historical fact than a present need. And so we put our, put our feet up in the shire and relax. And when Jesus invites us to follow him in adventure, we tell him that we're plain, quiet folk who have no use for such nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. Now, so far we've seen nobody takes an adventure with Jesus until they recognize his authority in their life and then recognize how lost they are. But finally, we need to recognize how great Jesus' grace is. Guilt never fueled a life of devotion. People don't ever go far with God just because they're afraid not to. 
It's not until you recognize how great Jesus' grace is that you feel the yearning to join him in the adventure. Now, it's easy to take the biblical accounts for granted. Put yourself in this story. Imagine you're the one who had just given Peter exactly what he wanted. You give him the biggest haul of fish he's ever brought in. You're looking for a thank you, aren't you? You expect some gratefulness. Then Peter tells you, get lost. <laughs> he's polite about it, but he tells you to get out of his boat. What would you do in response to that kind of disrespect? If we're honest, I think most of us would just walk away, leave him to it. Compare that with Jesus' response. He's not going anywhere. Verse 10 just says, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. There's so much compassion there, isn't it? Jesus understands. He's not shocked by the revelation that Peter is a sinful man. Jesus was just waiting for Peter to clue in. And Jesus isn't repulsed by the fact that Peter's a sinner either. In fact, he leans in because now he can give him the help that he needs. The French mathematician and Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote this, The knowledge of God without that of our wretchedness creates pride. The knowledge of our wretchedness without that of God creates despair. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is the middle way, because in him we find both God and our wretchedness. Have you found that? Have you found the grace in Jesus Christ that bridges our wretchedness and God's holiness? Faced with the reality of our own sin, do you need to hear Jesus' reassuring voice, do not be afraid? Hear what comes after it. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. He's saying, Peter, up until now, you've been scooping fish out of the water. From now on, you'll join me in rescuing people instead. What are you thinking right now if you're Peter? Jesus, didn't you hear me? I'm a sinful man. You can't have any part with me. I've blown it. I'm not of any use to you. I'm damaged goods. But Jesus' grace is so much bigger. For someone who recognizes Jesus' authority and is willing to confront the true condition of his heart, Jesus not only doesn't retreat from them, he invites them to join him. What would disqualify you by the world standards qualifies you in Jesus' eyes. Because Jesus' grace will cover Peter's sins. It'll atone for Peter's sins. It'll cleanse Peter's sins. And it'll do the same for yours and for mine. That's the good news. Healing a broken leg is great. Covering a sinner's shame is amazing. Giving a broken person dignity in a future is incredible. And ultimately, that's what sends people on an adventure with Jesus. Now, did you see how the passage ends? Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They've just gotten the largest bonus of their careers. And you're telling me they leave it on the boat, on the beach, and follow Jesus? Who does that? <laughs> That's what the grace of Jesus Christ does in a person's life. Obviously, that doesn't always mean that a person leaves their job. 
but it always means that they leave their old life. In fact, that's half of the symbolism of baptism, isn't it? My old life before Jesus is dead and in the grave, and I've started a new life. I've started an adventure with him. Have you started that adventure with Jesus? Or have you chosen the plain, quiet life of the Shire? Stop looking from the outside in. Recognize Jesus' authority in your life and receive him as your Lord, not just your advisor or your motivational coach. Recognize how lost you are. You're in worse shape than you imagine. But Jesus is a greater savior than you could know. Hear his word. Don't be afraid. And let his generous grace draw you to him. He's the one who can give a future to people who have not. Now, maybe you started off an adventure with Jesus, but somewhere along the line, you settled. Maybe you started treating his commands as suggestions. Maybe you thought you'd clean yourself up only to realize you were a worse sinner than you thought. Your gut reaction pushed Jesus away, but he's not going anywhere. He's calling you in grace. And if you've received that grace, he expects you to join him on mission, rescuing people. And we can't fulfill our mission as a church without you. We need to rebuild our old ministries and reimagine new ones. And that means each of us needs to step forward and use our gifts and talents. And not just to do little spiritual chores, although those are necessary too, but to take risks and allow yourself to be used to lead ministries, to launch ministries, to care for people, and to reach our community for Christ. Let Jesus turn all of us into fishers of people and extend his authority and his incredible grace to a world that needs it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the ways that we have treated your commands as suggestions and not given Jesus the authority in our lives that he deserves. Thank you for the reminders of how much we need you, of how broken we are, of how sinful we are compared to you and your holiness. Our love falls short. Our faithfulness falls short. Our devotion falls short. Too often we are poor reflection of the glory that we have been called to reflect. And so, Father, we thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the incredible gift that we have in him. Thank you for his covering for sin and the forgiveness that there is in him. Give us the courage to lay hold of it, to receive it. And give us the courage to join Jesus on an adventure, to walk with him in a new life to follow him on mission and to allow our lives to be given away to something bigger than us, to the incredible plan that you are carrying out both here and around the world. Lead us, Father, for we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to understand 
what makes people willing to leave everything, and how Jesus is calling you to an adventure with him. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.